Dautil Felhrat, Valkor ascending. The king was dead. Everyone in the kingdom already knew. The king was dead. Slain in battle, it was said, but no one knew. The city of Puka was no more than a ruin. Following the king's death, a swarm of clackers had been released, and that had been the last of Lord Dracon Kethvar's defenses. Now the once great Vimerian city was a smoldering pile of ashy stone and crumbling walls. The ruins of Puka, or the Rhines of Puka, as they would be known on the island of Peguila, were now overrun by orcs, goblins, and grey ones. Urkan's army hadn't even been needed. By the time the Grey One had reached the city, Jatvarn was already in command. And so it was, in the year 144 of the Second Age of Wayak Durham, that the forces of evil swept into Vemar, claiming the Rhines of Puka as their stronghold. Drakon Kethfar coughed. It was a dry cough, and it rang hauntingly through the haze around him. He strained his mind and eyes to focus. He lay on the ground. He could feel the gritty stone floor beneath him. He coughed once more in the ashy air of the holding cell, for that, he now realized, was exactly what it was, a prison. Suddenly, in a, blind, a blinding pain struck him in the head, and he, and he reached up to his skull with both hands. He let out a low moan and cradled his head between his knees. His short brown hair was knotted with dirt and ash. The door of his cell was iron. He could see that now, and there appeared to be no windows. I've been taken prisoner, he thought, but by God, where have they taken me? He peered around the cell once more. Finally, with a great burst of strength, he pulled himself to his feet. Making his way through the still hazy air, he groped his way along one stone wall, feeling for loose bricks. For now, at least, he had no such luck. And then, with a sudden burst of clarity, he realized. I haven't been taken anywhere, he thought. I'm still in Puka, or what's left of it, at least. He knew these walls. In his brief time in the city, he'd brought more than a few prisoners here himself. But now it was he who was trapped. He screamed. The response came in a little more than a minute. Shellac, keep that down in there, scum, or I'll rip you a new one. The goblin spoke in a low, gritty voice. Please let me out, said Kethvar bluntly. There was a howl of laughter from the other side of the metal door, the sound of many voices chiming in. So there's more than one, thought Kethvar. The briefest of smiles touched his lips, then it was gone. He decided to keep his mouth shut from then on. He hoped that those outside would get used to his silence so that maybe they wouldn't miss his absence. Goblins always were dumb, he thought, and continued to trace the cell walls, searching for a way of escape. Could they take any longer, thought Jetvarn, an expression of disgust clear on his face. The stone chair beneath him was uncomfortable, but he had more pressing matters at hand. He sat slouched atop a great stone seat, situated atop a pile of fallen stones. Behind, the remains of a small village house sat smoldering. The charred figure of a young boy could be seen protruding from one cracked opening. Atop Jetvarn's head sat the sun crown, its features subdued by the smoky air. Above, only dark gray clouds of ash could be seen, mixing steadily with the ever-growing storm clouds of Venok. The sun could not be seen and if not for one's internal clock, they would not have known whether it was day or night. He sat facing the ashy courtyard, where, not twenty-four hours ago, King Hradas Kangleo I of Vemar had rode forth valiantly to destroy the incoming forces of evil. Jetvarn laughed as the thought crossed his mind. 
Grey robes splayed about his seat. The Prince of Ash, as he had come to be known as in the Rhines, casually spun the, dra the dragon knife between his fingers. Finally, they arrived. Marching under the great archway where Puka's eastern gates once stood, a long line of troops appeared. At their head was Urkan, riding atop a great scenarian. The clacker was much larger, and black where the others were a cold gray, yet its eyes still ran, ran with the same orange pus. The spawn of Vinok clicked its teeth at Jetvarn as Urkan approached and dismounted. The knife had stopped its spinning in Jetvarn's fingers as he stood to greet Urkan. The large gray one looked stern and annoyed. Upon his hand gleamed the ring, and Jetvarn's eye was drawn to it now like metal to a magnet. Then he smiled. Nama, he spoke drawlingly. Ukoya uyetal taolertal let sakrela, daestet lize let levet shiga kalimas? he questioned, motioning to the ring and then to Urkan. The anger was palpable, emanating from the gray one like smoke from a fire. As if in response, the Zenarian behind him hissed loudly and began to clack its teeth. The muscles of Urkan's bald forehead bunched, and he took a step forward, speaking warningly. Liakunot uk, Jetvarn. I am warning you, Jetvarn. Jetvarn cackled. Turning to the goblin at his side, he spoke a few words in the ancient tongue. The small creature let out a wheeze of acknowledgement. Slowly, the goblins and orcs around the, the courtyard began to move in on Urakan, drawing scimitars and maces. Urakan began to spin in a low circle, his robes spinning about him. He pulled a long knife from his side. It was several seconds before the first orc struck. Jetvarn smiled and sat back on his rocky throne, watching the fight unfold. The crown sat crookedly on his brow, the golden band grayer now with the layer of soot. There was a clang of metal in the courtyard as steel met steel, then a sickening wet sound as the first goblin fell dead. Orkan's black eyes glittered, and he danced about, leaping between opponents and slicing brutally at their ankles and wrists. Troop after troop fell to Orkan's blade until the courtyard stood empty, but for Jetvarn, Orkan, and the black scenarian. Its teeth clicked nervously. Good fun, Jetvarn ch chuckled in the common tongue, although he knew Orkan could not understand. The rage was clear in Rakan's black eyes. Jetvarn stood and began to step down from the pile of stone. Suddenly, Urkan shouted a command, and the great black clacker leapt at the Prince of Ash head-on, its long fangs bared mercilessly toward Jetvarn's head. The creature died with a whimper, the dragon knife buried in its jugular. Orange blood. A plume of ash rose as the lifeless corpse hit the earth, a river of blood still pouring. Urkan's shoulders were heaving. To Jetvarn, he appeared almost as wild as the Zenarian pet he had just slain. Presently, the Grey One lunged at Jetvarn himself. You're just a Grey One, he yelled in the ancient tongue, rushing forward. Was a Grey One, he corrected calmly, meeting Urkan's blade with his own. Now, Prince of Ash. He chortled and spun out of the blade lock, beginning to dance the steps that the Grey Ones did so deftly. This time, it was Jetvarn who attacked. He danced forward, the gold blade of the dragon knife sparkling in his right hand like a shard of ice. Urkan ducked, sliding beneath the blade and slicing toward Jetvarn's middle with an uppercut. Spinning away, Jetvarn tossed the knife into his left hand behind his back, and spinning to his left, he stabbed the, the knife backhanded into Urkan's back, just below the left shoulder blade. The Grey One let out a hoarse howl of pain as Jetvarn pulled the knife out. Urkan fell to his knees, groping at his back as blood poured out. He seemed to shrink before Jetvarn's eyes, his long gray robes falling in a pile about him. His black eyes closed. 
and then they snapped open once more, and from behind his back flew a knife. It flew straight and true, striking Jetvarn just below his navel. But the blade bounced off harmlessly and fell to the rocky ground. Ah, 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 said the Prince of Ash, tapping the crown atop his head. He smiled wickedly, and then Orkan fell to the rocky ground of the courtyard. Still giggling to himself, he walked over and prodded Urkan's lifeless form with his foot. Shrugging, he bent down and slipped the ring from Urkan's finger. It was a pretty thing. Jetvarn realized that now, as much as he could appreciate such a thing, that is. It was a small green ring made of interlocking floral bands, small leaf-like structures sprouting along the band. And all around was sketched the same inscription that could be seen on the other two seals. It occurred to him that only then that the ring's true owner was his captive here in the Rhines. No, he thought, the ring's true owner is my master, and I am going to set him free. At the thought, he pulled his eyes from the gleaming green band and slowly slipped the ring under the third finger of his right hand. Then, reaching down, he picked up the dragon knife from where he had dropped it. As the hilt of the knife touched the tip of his finger, he felt a sudden surge of energy course through his body. Now gripping the knife tightly in his right hand, he began to feel the energy building, a surge of power running from his right arm up to his head, from the knife to the ring to the crown. The energy grew, now beginning to surge throughout his whole body. It was then, as his veins began to pulse, that he felt the reflex working within his jaw. The muscles beneath his chin began to twitch and then retract, and he felt his mouth beginning to move, his lips parting uncontrollably. And then those words, now so familiar, began to spring from his mouth like music, chanting and floating away into the smoky sky. Salzelakdur, Kalemehofe Weyakdurans, Kalemehofe Demakdur, Kanilkaofe Livakdur. He began, but this time there was more, much more. Sir Morgan Kethfar awoke in smoke, as had many others. But now there were no others as he propped himself up on his elbows. There was a searing pain in his left leg. Upon waking, he had assumed it was the spear wound. Now, upon finding that he couldn't move his leg at all, he discovered it was much more than that. His entire left leg was crushed beneath a massive rock. A piece of the bell tower, it appeared. He groaned in pain. Well, that leg was no good anyway, he thought, and smiled grimly to himself. He coughed in the smoke-filled air and prepared himself to remove his leg. The first pull yielded nothing but an agonizing b burst of fiery pain in his thigh, and Morgan had to stuff his fist in his mouth to keep from screaming aloud. His hand came away bloody. Over the next few pulls, he gradually managed to loosen the leg and retract it slightly, although the release of pressure seemed to yield more pain to the young knight. He was sure that every bone had been shattered beyond repair. Finally, he lay back on the rocky ground around him, his leg free. He hadn't bothered to touch it yet. What was the point? He knew what he would find. Morgan would have passed out once more if it had not been for the great rumble which presently shook the earth beneath him. Now, straining his ears, he began to hear a chanting voice rising on the wind, the cutting syllables of the ancient tongue audible for all to hear. It was only then that he realized he was still in Puka, and one look around its charred remains made him sick. But there was that voice again, and now a violent rocking of the earth greater than before. As Morgan pulled himself up onto his elbows once more, a tearing headache split through his skull and his head began to swim. It was all he could do to focus his t attention on the large boulder before him until a crashing storm within his mind had passed. 
Now, with a burst of energy pulled from somewhere deep within his gut, he hauled himself up upon his leg, using the rock as a support. Peering around through the smoky haze, he spotted a long wooden beam, which he recognized as a railing from one of the upper landings. He could see the holes where the vertical posts would have inserted. Hobbling over, he pulled the beam from the dirt and stood it upright. It was a bit too long, but using the rock as a support and jumping on it, he managed to break off a piece just the right length as to allow him to use the beam as a makeshift sort of crutch. Slowly and carefully, he began to make his way over the rocks and rubble, towards the place where the steady chanting originated. He had almost reached the source of the sound when another great boom resounded below him, throwing him to the ground. One great pile of rubble and stones seemed to step separate him from the chanting and a blue electric light which now seemed to be shining on the other side. He could hear the words very clearly now, and although he could not understand them, they did not sound good. Bailet Kalimdur, Sofe Libakdur, Dadem Akdur, Lizel Belet Ilalos Sofe Venge, Likosot Uk Benul and Kalimdur, Dam Shandip Divapin Bone, Nakavengal Ukuyetal de Tauli, Tamuliak Eft came the haunting words floating over the rhines loudly and clearly in a rough, melancholy chorus. There was a sizzle of energy, and Morgan saw a bolt of lightning-like electricity shoot up over the stone in front of him. He forced himself onwards, climbing on bruised arms up to the top of the rock heap. Open Lizelberg Zert, Bail at Kalimdurs, off a Livakdur, da Demakdur, Likoyal at Kalimdur, off a Kanilgai, Liak let Kalima. The chanting was growing louder, drilling into Morgan's ears as he reached the top and peered down. There below, in the stony courtyard, before the once great gates of Puka, stood Jetvarn King Leal, clothed in a flowing black, in flowing black robes. On his head shone the sun crown, glowing brilliantly in the electric blue light that now engulfed him. In his hand was the dragon knife, the blade shining like blue flame, and on his finger Morgan could just make out the shape of his father's ring. Jetvarn's black eyes were wide, staring upwards at the ashy sky as the words spewed from his mouth. I must do something, thought Morgan, but what? What could I do? I don't even know what he's doing. I can't understand the words, and I don't know how powerful he is. The chanting had now grown to a loud yell, wailing over the sound of a howling wind that was now amassing. Morgan felt the hair behind his head being blown about violently as a swirling tornado-like wind began to circle the courtyard, drawing ever inward. Loud zapping noises were heard as the blue electricity shot outward from Chetfarn's body, which now appeared to be hovering slightly off the ground. And as he screamed the demon's name, an ear-splitting screech was heard and the wind was sucked inwards towards Jetvarn, whose, whose body was now convulsing violently in the air. Suddenly there was a howling wail as the ground of the courtyard split and cracked, and in the center a circular portal cracked open, swirling and pulsing and sucking chunks of stone down into it. And when, Mor and when Sir Morgan Cathbar peered down to the depths of the underworld, he was forever changed. His pupils dilated as he looked, and he was sucked into a trance, staring down into the swirling red depths of hell. Fire was belched up from within, and the screams of a thousand souls could be heard rising from the pit. And then, steadily, a great swirling black smoke began to rise out of the depths. And when it reached the mortal plane, it began to condense, forming a pitch-black cloud in the courtyard. The force continued to swirl about. It seemed an eternity before the last of the smoke rose from the pit and joined the cloud. Then there was a rending screech, as if a thousand gears were grinding shut, 
and the swirling red depths of the underworld slammed together. The portal was sealed once more. Now the electric field around Jet Varn's body grew, and the swirling dark mass rose up, towering over Jet Varn and Morgan. The knight ducked down to keep from being seen while still peeking over the topmost rock. He could see two red spheres glowing in the blackness which now began to take on the vague shape of a man before it dove headlong into Jet Varn's open mouth. And in the split second before it descended, Morgan thought he caught a glimpse of its true form, a lifeless skeletal form. It had no eyes and its maw was leering and terrifying to behold. Morgan cringed backwards, but then it was gone, plummeting violently into Jet Varn's convulsing form. It was over. The electricity stopped and all was silent. A searing pain shot through Morgan's head, and he remembered no more. Jetvarn lay on the ground. Clutched in his hand and smeared about his temple were piles of ash. The three seals were no more. It was a long time before Jetvarn twitched. Then he shifted, and his neck moved unnaturally, his white hair falling about his face. Then, with a low, deep bellow of rage, the form shot upwards into the air before landing on its feet. Jetvarn stood as he had been before, but now his face was not smiling, and his shoulders were heaving with uncontrollable power. Electric energy briefly flickered in his fingertips. Then a low, hollow laugh emanated from Jetvarn's throat, although it was not his voice. The laugh soon became a hoarse roar as the demon Valkor stared at the sky through eyes that were not his. And those eyes were red, a deep blood red, solid and complete. Then a bolt of lightning streaked through the sky, and if one had been watching, they would have sworn to seeing the shadow of two great wings rising on the wall behind the beast. But when the light passed, there were no wings. Hello, father. He spoke deeply, staring at the choking sky. Another bolt of lightning crackled through the night, and when it had gone, the form which had once been Jet Varn had vanished.